It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. They went to the court and they're like, we're suing everybody. And the court was like, say what? They're like, yeah, everybody. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Watch Time. Welcome back. It's been two weeks since we recorded. Yeah, wow. Okay, that actually is a while. We took a week off last week and I was thinking about what our excuse was. And honestly, we don't have a good excuse. I mean, A, there wasn't anything that crazy that happened that week. I don't think we had anything that we were that passionate to talk about. But B, we actually got into the uh, recording room and we sat down and then like, and I just looked at Grace and I was like, you seem like you have a lot to do this week. And you were like, I do. And I was like, do you want to take a miss on this one? And you were like, yes. Guys, I never want to take a miss on things. I'm a stickler for consistency. Mm. I hate being inconsistent on anything, but I also hate the idea of putting up anything like subpar that we're not super happy about Mm. or that we're not feeling like the energy is there for. And honestly, like the last two weeks has just been completely manic. But then someone was like, oh, what have you got on? And I'm like, oh, what do I have on? And I like couldn't even answer properly. But I was a million like, little things. It's well, it's and a million little things, things and like three really big things that just take a long time to like put pre work into. I feel as though I have a bad attention span with work these days. You know what I mean? Like I need like quick results very quickly. It's like mm. hard for me to plan something that we might do in like six months. Yeah. And I realize that's like necessary to do sometimes. I feel but- like that's like endemic to the YouTube just ecosystem where everything is so like real time, like immediate. Fast turnaround. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we're working on this project that might pay off in like eight months, 12 months. It's like, no, it's like, you know, with like when you're doing a YouTube channel and you're the actual YouTuber, it's like you make a video, you upload a video, you see the performance, the growth immediately and the revenue from it. And the same if you're doing YouTuber management work. Yeah. It's kind of like a lot of the time it's campaigns on short timelines. Yeah. It's like, here's a campaign. The content needs to go live on Friday you'll get paid next week. Yeah. And it's like, boom, done. Yeah. Which is honestly like, I love yeah, that I love feeling. It. I love like immediate, I love, I love the adrenaline return. rush. Yeah, I love feeling like you're like churning through things and you're like getting shit done. You're ticking things off the to-do list. But I also reckon that can be a bit of a safety net sometimes and it can make you feel like you're being really busy. But it's like, are you actually thinking about the long-term stuff that is really important? You know, you can't just get caught in this short-term churn. Mm. Uh, for people that like to feel productive, it can feel really good to just be like, yeah, I'm getting through my inbox. I'm ticking things off the list. But if you're not actually thinking about the long-term projects and things that you want to be doing in a year to set yourself up now, like you got to have the goals, them. people. You got to have the goals. And we're, and we're working, we're getting, we're getting our goals done right now. We're doing good. We're doing good. A lot of exciting things in the pipeline, which yeah. I can't wait to talk about. But what I also can't wait to talk about are today's watch time topics. Yes. That was a good segue right there. That was amazing. You nailed it. Today, we are going to be discussing two things, which uh, I think are quite interesting. One is kind of a more current news topic, which is the fact that Ethan Klein, aka H3H3, is being sued by Trilla for $50 million. Seriously? Um, Yeah, $50 million. Dang, dude. Um, And, you know, kind of just, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to be said 
said about, you know, the whole topic of fair use, how does it extend to, where does it cut off? And, you know, just on a general kind of moral level, what we all think should and shouldn't be okay. But the first topic that I'm so interested to talk about, and I can't believe we haven't talked about this already, because mm. I have thought a lot about this for years now. And it's also been a topic that's come up occasionally through the creative community for a bunch of different reasons. And that is the topic of investing in creators. And this has really come up... in a, a lot of ways recently, it's it's come up in both uh, Mr. Beast starting or not starting, but I, th- I believe joining and being very much the face of a new kind of investment fund where they basically manage a bunch of money and they will give it to small up and coming YouTubers mm-hmm. in exchange for a, a p- cut of their channel, an yeah. ownership percentage of their it's channel. Creative Juice. Creative Juice. And then uh, more recently, there's also the BitClout cryptocurrency, which mm. is kind of like uh, which I've been reading into, which is basically a social media platform that I can explain a little bit later um, that also allows you to buy and trade cryptocurrency related to individual creators that is, you know, in many ways tied to their current quote unquote clout level. It's super interesting. And I think like, as you said, this is something that I feel like has come up over dinner with creators and like as part of our friendship mm. group and and the group of people that we work with regularly, it's like, it's come up quite a bit over the last few years where you're like, wow, this creator's like really onto something. They've got some special source. I wish I could invest. I wish I could invest. And it was sort of really quite a casual conversation and more of like a hypothetical rather than like, how could you actually practically make that happen? But I think it goes to, you know, an, an emerging and developing trend in content overall where Creators are more and more becoming little mini media businesses, not Mm. even mini media businesses. A lot of them are getting more views, more exposure, more reach than many literal media businesses that you are able to invest in. And I think thinking about how could I buy into that? How could I help that person reach a bigger audience and share in the rewards that might come from that down the line is a really interesting concept. And you know, there are a lot of similarities and there are also some differences. I think what I've realized the biggest difference between kind of when most venture cap companies will come in and kind of like invest in a company early on and then try and grow it is most of the time the kind of end goal with venture cap is to kind of come in, uh, get a percentage ownership in a certain company, a certain business, a certain channel, and then kind of really just juice it for like two or three years, accelerate their growth exponentially, and then ultimately sell it at the end of whatever time horizon they have Mm -hmm. and make a fat profit. But as we talked about a lot before, and while there are some notable exceptions, um, a lot of the time when it comes down to YouTube channels, it is very much about the person and the personalities Mm -hmm. behind it. And because of that, it makes it much, much harder to have an exit. There is totally like, like I can't sell my YouTube channel on the stock. I can't do an IPO and sell Muselk. It just doesn't work. And but- there's an inherent risk in that as well. Usually if you're investing into a business, you're looking at when you're investing, what are you buying into? What are the potential exit opportunities? Are you able to sell this in the future? And what are the inherent risks that are there with the investment? And a lot of times a risk that people will look at is what they would call like a key personnel risk or a key person mm. risk. And that in a traditional traditional sense might be, for example, 
if you have a founder that is really, really integral to the business and the business perhaps doesn't have as much value if that founder's not there. If you're in a service-based business where you're providing a service to people and a lot of that service is like really driven by particular people and what if they left, then suddenly the business doesn't hold as much value. But obviously, if you're looking at a creator or a YouTube channel, that is just amplified on another level mm. because that is the person in many ways is completely tied they to the channel. They are fully the business, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I have a mental breakdown and move off to Mykonos, your Muzok isn't a thing. Yeah, it's difficult <laughs> um, It's difficult to really build off that beyond the person. Yeah, So, but but effectively because, I mean, yeah, that, that's what makes it so interesting. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge those two key differences. Number one, there is no real sale exit a lot of the time with these channels. And there also is, uh, you know, huge key personnel risk. But ultimately what is so interesting is if you can get into a lot of these channels early on and you can say fund them for a 30% stake in their channel, then all of a sudden can potentially, if that channel takes off, be making huge cuts of revenue in the early, in the early, early stages or, you know, as that channel rapidly begins to escalate. And the growth there is huge. Like if you think about if Mr. Beast early on came to you and he was like, oh, you know, like I'm trying to do these games where I go around and I play beer pong and I give people 10 grand if they win, but I don't have the money to do it. If you were to have been like, love it, great content. And you gave Mr. Beast half a million dollars for a 30% stake in this channel. Holy crap. You make him back. (laughs) And the thing is, you don't even have uh, persistent obligations necessarily beyond that point. Because once you've given him the half a million and he's burned through that half a million, you still own that stake Mm -hmm. in the company. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to him from that point to begin to fund it. But I do think one of the other big similarities, which I think is interesting. And I don't know, I don't think this was ever really like a big publicly talked about thing. And I actually can't even with 100% certainty claim that this is true. But I do believe that Mr. Beast for a number of years now, up to like three or four years ago, actually did have a few small YouTubers who he was like, hey, I like what you're doing. Um, And basically approached them and offered to uh, help them with both a combination of funds to maybe get like equipment and gear set up, but also with expertise around thumbnails, metadata, ideas, and really kind of- um, Editing style. Editing style, like really help them kind of elevate their content and take Mm -hmm. it up a level in Mm -hmm. exchange for a kind of long-term investment in their channel. I think the other really big similarity is a lot of the time when venture cap funds get invested in traditional businesses, a lot of the services they provide are actually advice and help Mm. and like the ability to kind of navigate a space that the business might not know how to do or expertise in an area that they're not necessarily kind of versed in. And I think in this kind of YouTube investment where you're playing the algorithm so much, like sure, quarter of a million dollars to go and buy a slow-mo camera for your explosions channel or whatever it is, is really, really valuable. But I think where a lot of these guys, especially with big, big backers behind them, can really, really add value to these channels is just that expertise. Mm. Kind of being like, look, your personality, great. Your content concept, great. Currently though, the way you're framing it, thumbnailing it, executing it, I think we can tweak that Mm. and, and kind of they can kind of take that to the next level and really help accelerate the content. For sure. So maybe let's break this down a little bit and get into detail of some of the ways that people have invested in creators and how we're seeing people invest in creators. I mean, to take it back to like a really early iteration of this, I would kind of say like a Jake Paul Team 10 was a very early iteration of an investment in creators where he would bring people in, he was paying for their editing, he was paying for their accommodation, 
He was put giving them like additional exposure through his own channel as a bigger advice. creator. Advice. Yeah. And he really built them up. So this is actually, I, I was going to segue into the, this in a minute and I'm, oh. you kind of beat me to it. Guys, we didn't even talk about this Yeah, we, didn't, we really we didn't pre-plan on a this topic. Today. Um, but yeah, because I actually was going to kind of raise the topic of like as cool as this is and like accelerating channels and growing mm. them, the problem that you literally always see in every single instance yeah. of YouTube is whenever there's someone who comes in early, invests in a project, then that project takes off. All of a sudden, as much as the creator early on was like, oh my God, this is like a godsend. Like I've got this, yeah, these I needed people to come this. in to like fund my channel and really kind of grow and accelerate it. As soon as it has grown and it has made, and it has started to make money and that company's investment has paid off, mm. all of a sudden they're sitting there like, oh my God, I'm giving 30% of my revenue to this, this company and they're not really contributing anymore. Like they, the channel runs mm. itself. That initial investment was great, but I don't, I, like I'm, I'm funding myself right now. I'm kind of, I know what I'm doing now, but I'm still giving money away. This yeah. is actually exactly what happened with that topic we chatted about a few weeks ago. All gas, no breaks. Yeah. Guy comes to a company, says, I've got this great idea, but I need employees, a caravan, and I need to go around the country and pay for travel expenses. Company said, we love your idea. We're going to invest in it. But as soon as the idea grew to a certain point, it was kind of like, uh, don't really like this relationship anymore. Yeah. Fully blows up the channel and starts a new one. You've seen it with the um, Call of Daddy Barstool Sports thing as Call well. Call of Daddy invested in the idea early on, grows exponentially. People all of a sudden aren't comfortable because you, when you're a personality behind a channel, you feel like you are mm. the channel. It's kind of like just giving your paycheck to someone else for doing all the work. Like as much Which as obviously that- isn't how an investment would normally work. It's no. actually not really about that. Like the company was the people that allowed you to do this in the first place. Yeah. That is why they've taken an interest. They had to take an interest and pay for it, even if it didn't work out. The fact that it did work out is sort of how the risk and reward relationship should yeah. work. But I think- They could have yeah. invested that money and it could have just failed. Absolutely. And they've lost. And they probably did do that with a bunch of other projects and then totally. they recoup on the one that wins. Jake Paul, Team 10 House. That was exactly so what many happened. people where they took a Jake was taking like a percentage cut from their overall channel revenue. Their channels would not have grown to where they were without his kind Absolutely of push behind it. But as soon as they had grown, no one wants to be giving money anymore. And then you get these like free insert name here hashtags going on and it's a complete mess. Yeah. So my real question around these like more formal investments is are they doomed or do you just have to be very careful? And it's almost like when you're investing in channels, sure, there's a question of, you know, do I believe in the idea? Do I believe in the um, in the concept and the growth that this channel will have and my yeah. ability to recoup? But also, is it equally important to very much be like, I also believe that this person understands that if this does pay off and my money does end up growing the channel and my advice, that they're going to understand that this is like a cooperative relationship yeah. and that I am entitled to recoup on the bet that I made. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think it's a function of the fact oftentimes these sorts of things are happening with creators that are literal teenagers. Yeah. Like they haven't had the life experience. They don't have the commercial expertise. And so the concepts are not complex to grasp but they're not the easiest thing in the world to grasp either and I can understand how people could get it wrong 
yeah. or creators could get it wrong. I yeah. would be so interested to see the contracts that they have. Because I reckon, same. because these are all smart guys, they'd all be looking at the exact same things that we've just talked about. Yeah. And they would have, and you can just see this problem so consistently when it's revenue so is being split. Mm-hmm. I almost can't think of a single time where it hasn't resulted in that outcome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just love to see what kind of protections they have in place. I, they probably literally have clauses like you are never allowed to start another YouTube channel other than this one to stop like yeah. an old gas, no break situation where they literally kill the channel and, and go to a different one. I reckon I they think would be geared so aggressively. Uh, yeah, I would love, would love to see as well. And I think... I feel like there's going to be an update on the Call Her Daddy situation as well because it's been about a year since Mm. um, that went down and when they agreed that they would go another year before renewing. And I'm hearing some whispers around the industry that something's coming to a head with that relationship as well. So I'm kind of excited to see what happens there. Interesting. It's really interesting to also think about what situations have there been that address that question that you have around, is it ever possible to have an exit? Is it possible to sell a YouTube channel? I can't think of that many examples, but I have a couple. And this is something that we've spoken about a little bit before. I have one. Is your example BCC It is BCC trolling. Guys, I love when Elliot and I are flowing together. Also because that's literally the only example Last that I week, know of. Last week, we were not in the flow. We were, we were stressing. I was overworked. <laughs> my creativity wasn't working. Yeah, and most but people don't know that. So BCC Trolling is a gaming compilation channel. So they compile like top gaming clips, top Fortnite clips, that sort of thing. And it's a unique channel because there is no personality tied to it. The guy that started the channel never showed his face on the channel. I don't even know if he ever really like put his voice behind the channel. No, not really. It was very much compilation and it grew really rapidly. He like popped off during when Fortnite was blowing up. He was uploading all the time and he developed a massive audience around the time when there was a lot of weekly updates happening on Fortnite. There was a lot of hunger for that like new gameplay that he was compiling. And I'm not exactly sure when, but I know that he has uh, sold his channel to Omnia Media, which is a YouTube network, and that is now managed by Omnia. They are literally creating the content for the channel. And And mimicking it almost – I was watching their videos. They're mimicking it perfectly. Like there was really – almost no change in content. Like obviously the views are down because Fortnite is down. In terms of the content performance, it's it's exactly where it should be. Mm. That is like, but those examples are so rare Yeah, because almost no content on YouTube is without personality. Mm. And, and the only the other few. example I can think where it has happened, apart from all gas, no breaks, which wasn't really sold. It was more like the contractual structure. Grace Helbig Do you know Grace Helbig? She's like OG vlogger. She was really, really big back in the day. Um, She still has a really considerable audience. I think she's she'd definitely be considered a very classic personality of YouTube. And I believe a number of years ago now, she sold her channel to a YouTube network where it was basically a structure that she remained. um, She remained the 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 talent, the personality on the channel, and committed to an upload schedule over the period of time and in return she was going to get paid effectively a salary and I can see how in theory you think this could work it's like okay I don't know where this is going to go Mm. one of the one of the weaknesses of YouTube is that you have no income predictability there is no certainty it's like your channel could be doing amazing one month and if you drop off or you lose viewership 
you could be earning substantially less in the next month. And that's kind of the risk people take. So she signed on to an agreement where she was going to be paid a salary and in exchange give up ownership of her channel. It went messy. I'm not sure exactly over what period of time it went really messy, but it did go really messy. She tried to get her channel back under her own control. The network refused to give it to her. She eventually, when she was out of contract, started a new channel, which she obviously had to start from zero and she built it up. But I think it wasn't exactly a lesson where it's like, oh, here's a successful exit of a YouTube channel. I'm not one 1,000% certain of the way that this certain one that I'm referring to is geared, but there is a very large YouTuber um, that is in the kind of space that I think most people listening to this podcast would know and you and I definitely know, uh, who I believe is currently under a similar arrangement. Oh, really? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cannot disclose uh, during this recording. I think I know who you're talking about. You probably do. I do. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I think that's very, very, and and also that is a lot of the way the way that like you know to bring it back when you sell a company, a lot of the time you will sell your company, and it does have clauses in there saying that the founders and the owners need to continue to yeah. work for the company for say like a three year kind of like exit from the company, and a lot of the time you'll have KPIs built into that where the company will come in and they'll say, look, we're going to give you ten million dollars up front. Uh, with the potential for an additional 10 million over the next three years, depending on how the per, the company mm-hmm. performs. Mm-hmm. So you are incentivized to uh, very job. much still do a good job. And I think content is one of those things where that is so important because, oh my God, you could pay me and say, hey, you need to post one video a day for the next three years. I could sign that contract, but making a video and yeah. making a video is bloody different the difference i could in quality. just cut out one round from a random live stream where i happen to get do all right and just chuck it up with an average thumbnail done but also versus like, really putting thought into it you know the way that you're saying like oh we might know someone that's done that um i also like like no hate like i can't oh judge God, that no, I'm because people have different things that they want out of life and income predictability is a pretty reasonable people, thing to want people, like if you want to buy a house you know you want to be able to send your kids to school in 10 years like yeah. you got to do whatever you got to do and and like these sorts of deals are going to happen more and more like already i don't know if people know but like people are selling their backlogs of content like maybe not what they're doing for the next for the future you know you have a library of content on youtube like you have a library of content it still continues to make yeah, money when it gets viewership People will buy that. Companies will basically come in and say all the future revenue from future videos you post, you keep that, but we want to buy the revenue that your existing catalog of videos will generate over time Mm. over the next X number of years. And a lot of the time they'll be like, we we calculate that it's going to make 2 million over the next three years. We'll pay you 1.5. So you're basically kind of guaranteeing uh, guaranteeing and getting kind of like an upfront that you can mess around with, which uh, people do that with um, with careers as well and, and yeah. future salaries and, and bonds and all so much stuff. But anyway, 
I feel like we've talked a lot about that direct cash investment. There was one other topic yes. that I wanted to quickly go into that's on this same area before we move on to H3, H3. NFTs. I'm kidding. Not, well, <laughs> I think it actually, I think, no. It kind of you know is. It is technically, I, I believe, classified as I'm just trying to trigger NFT. you because Elliot can't deal with NFTs, NFTs anymore. And you know what? They did die just like I said they would. Yeah. You, when was the last time you heard about NFTs being a big thing? Not since pretty much that crazy month where they yeah. were a thing. I was right, people. Come here for the hot tips. But uh, yeah, so BitCloud, which is basically this uh, cryptocurrency, and I, I'm sure there's going to be someone listening that is going to dig into exactly the way I explain it. I read a lot about it as much as I could to understand. But effectively, they've created what is effectively like a social media network. Think like Twitter. Mm -hmm. And everyone's Twitter profile or BitCloud profile has a currency attached to it. So you would have Gracecoin, I'd have Musilcoin, that kind of thing. Now you buy the overarching- Gracecoin kind of sounds cool. Sounds kind of cool. Someone should make that. There's an overarching currency, which is the BitCloud one. And then you can use that to trade into these individual people's cryptocurrency yep. on their platform. Gotcha. So depending on the demand for that individual person's currency, obviously the price goes up. Mm -hmm. With the idea being that the creator on the platform will be like, okay, if you want to send me a DM that I'll reply to, it costs one Musolt coin. Interesting. Or I'm going to sort my inbox based on who's holding the most Musolt coin or that kind of thing. So the idea is the more popular someone is, the more successful they are, the more people want to buy their coin, the increase yep. in demand. Yep. Therefore you are in effect when you own these individuals' coins trading on their kind of cloud, their cloud yeah. value. Um, and I just thought that cool was- Cool concept. It is a really cool concept. I don't feel like it's executed perfectly because the problem is unless that creator actually really embraces their coin, it just yeah. doesn't work. Like it just yeah. doesn't make sense. It is a very, very interesting concept. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is I read this article that actually went into a super interesting kind of uh, moral issue mm -hmm. around that. Because obviously the idea is, you know, when people do good things and they're making great content, the value of their coin goes up. It's all like good. It's all hype. It's all great. But this article mentioned like the issues that would that could be created around that, which is um, the propensity to short someone's coin and the issues that would be created around that. So for people who don't know, shorting, you're effectively, um, you can do it, people do it in the stock market all the time. It's what happened with uh, GameStop initially, which is what triggered everyone to try and push the price up. Right. As kind of like to basically, um, you know, kind of call all the shorts. But uh, shorting is basically when you look at, something, whether it's a stock on the stock market or a cryptocurrency, and you say, I think right now this is worth more than it will be in a certain amount of time from now. So you're betting the price of that thing is going to go down. So this article was saying that if you were shorting an individual person's like clout cryptocurrency, yeah. you're incentivized to short and then try and, and then try and get them canceled. Oh shit. So you might uh, short toxic. James Charles and oh. then try and dig up something, some random tweet he'd made, post it and hope that it goes viral, sending down oh, his popularity messy. levels, cutting subscribers and basically hurting an individual to make that financial gain. Anyway, I just, I don't think that's as big a topic to go into as what we've that's just That's like some about. Black Mirror stuff. Yeah, that's not as big a topic <laughs> to go into, but I just think it was a really interesting, mm. different way of investing in a creator. Yeah. Where the creator themselves, I mean, obviously you can say they own their coins, so they do benefit from it, but you're not really investing in as directly, but yes. it's a really 
in their social perception. That's a, a very really interesting, interesting perspective. Yeah. yeah. Really anyway. interesting. I hadn't even thought about mm. hadn't even thought about the concept of what it would look like to short a creator. Yeah, super weird. Weird. But yeah, I think uh, unless there's anything else you want to say, I think that kind of we've we've had a very good deep dive. Really, I think it's really interesting. Creators. I think um I think it'll be super interesting to see how it plays out. But overall, I just love that there's more and more creativity that's coming into the business of creators. Mm. You know, I think it's becoming a more complex industry. There's becoming more ways to get involved. And I think ultimately, like some of these things will work and some of them won't. Like Team 10 didn't work overall, over a long term. It did work for a period of time. But pushes everything forward like this bit clout thing maybe that's not the ultimate thing but the fact that people are thinking in this way and the fact people are like trying things and testing yeah. things and seeing what works means that there's like huge progress happening yeah. in the industry and i think Boy. that is really really exciting yeah no definitely. matter where it lands it's very interesting super keen to see where it goes and if people can find a way to invest in creators without having it blow up relationships yeah okay to end this topic though if you were to invest in a creator who would you be? Who would your money be in? Can I answer with Mr. Beast four years ago? It's kind of like it's kind of like, like saying it's like saying I would invest in Apple in the nineties. That's what I would do. That's my investing tip right there. Um, I actually don't know. I feel like I'm not watching enough like new creators right now. Uh, love Philip DeFranco, and I think he's got a good expansive view on how to kind of do news in the modern age. So I would probably I would probably do Philly D. Yeah, yeah, that's good. See, I think I agree. I, I feel like I need to like find some new people that I get really excited about. I also feel like sometimes I'm too close to the creator scene and I see how much of it is just really personality based and how like tumultuous that can be sometimes. I don't know to use a so word. much, so much. And like sometimes I see like creators that are amazing creators, but I know on the inside it's like a rocky road for them. And like yeah. some days they're up and some days they're down. And like that for me is where it comes back to that key personal yeah, risk. You can very much believe in the creativity and the like quality of their mm. content. But but I think a very underrated part mm. of that is you need to also believe in the person behind it. Yeah. So many people. Their mental stamina. Are they going to burn out? So many people. And and this isn't a negative um, reflection on, on them at all. But I, I think, you know, people like C-Day is a great example. Mm. This is a guy who's creating content that whenever he put out would get 10 plus million views every single time. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely the most viral content. But he, and, and incredible quality content, hilarious content, had such a talent for it. But mm. it's just kind of like, oh, I don't know, not really like, not really like vibing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, super interesting. But we're going to move on to our next topic which is H3H3 getting sued for $50 million. So give me a little backstory on this. So there was the boxing fight, which was Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. And obviously that was pay-per-view event where you would pay $50 to get, you know, watch access to the fight. And basically like every pay-per-view event, a huge thing around it is a lot of people want to watch the fight. A lot of people also don't want to pay $50 to watch the fight. Yep. So you have... Um, a real effort a lot of the time being made by these services, which is Triller, to shut down 
any potential uh, restreams. Mm. And obviously restreams happen because we're in a digital age. It is so easy to quickly spin up a stream that is showing a fight go down or or any kind of thing that shouldn't, you know, be restreamed, but it just happens. And effectively what happened is after the fight, Triller basically went around, found every single stream they could or every restream of the kind of content that happened during the fight. Uh, And also people that just clicked on those links, found as many of them as they could. Wow. And then launched this obscenely huge class action lawsuit. Wow. Where, oh, sorry, it wouldn't be a class action lawsuit from their end, but basically launched a lawsuit where they went to the court and they're like, we're suing everybody. And the court was like, say what? They're like, yeah, everybody. If if you were a website that hosted it, if you went onto the website, if you did this, if you did that, if you did this, and they were suing each person uh, for a lot of money. And they, but, but they basically said, I kind of think it was kind of like blackmail using the legal system in a weird way. They came out and they, they're like, but if you buy the pay-per-view in the next week, then we'll we won't pursue you in the case. Ooh. So basically going to the people who, re- who illegally restreamed it and being like, go pay like you, you have a chance have. to rectify yeah. yeah but basically the court looked at their case and was like bruh you can't just sue everybody that's not how this works so basically they were like it's not specific enough so Triller went away they came back and they've now picked a few very specific people including one yeah. website that was restreaming it and then one of the other f- people they picked was h3h3 because i believe there was something being thrown around like some link got posted on their blog that linked to a restream, which I, in my opinion, is fully not their fault. What the interesting one is on their podcast, I believe, they showed a clip of the moment that Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren. So it was just kind of like, I believe, a you know, maybe like 10 to 20 second clip. Yeah. And I mean, that clip was all over Twitter. Yeah, all over everywhere. So they showed that on their podcast and then Triller uh, looked at the podcast and was like, the podcast has 1 million views. Our pay-per-view was $50 per view. Therefore, you owe us $50 million. That's the math. Uh, but basically, <laughs> H3H3 actually has this long history with the concept of fair use. So for people who don't know, fair use is a very, very divisive thing in the current digital age. It's basically saying that there are things that are copyright and can be owned by kind of another copyright holder and another company, but you're allowed to use copyright content to a very limited extent. And I I don't know the exact wording of that law, but for example, that's how reaction content is. Mm. And I think reaction content, in my opinion, a lot of the time pushes that law, takes the piss out of that law a little bit. But, you know, for example- It's it's, uh, it's, if you're adding unique value- so if, if you're, adding if you're, if you're substantially changing it or, you know, the experience watching it yeah. on the podcast is different to the pay-per-view, yeah. then that's Same space. way that you can have like a small, like five second meme clip from Lion King yeah. in your video or something like that. And Disney isn't going to sue you mm-hmm. because you just used it as like a short meme moment in a much larger project. That's mm-hmm. That would be fair use. So uh, H3H3 actually got sued years ago by another YouTuber for using some clip from his video. And he literally, this guy just seemed literally psycho. It wasn't like a logical, you've actually caused damages thing. It was just basically trying to mess with H3 as much as they could. Yeah. Uh, took them to like the full extent of the law. It was like a multi, multi-million dollar legal case Whoa. that dragged over years. Oh my God. Of this guy chasing after them for like suing them for once again, a crazy amount. And uh, H3 ended up winning that case after ridiculous legal costs. So now again, it's all come back with Triller basically going to H3, trying to sue them for $50 million. 
And I think the real question here, and this is actually where I, I my brain has been kind of all over the shop. Because on one hand, I'm like, no, that was like a pay-per-view fight and hilariously showing the 10, 20 second clip of Jake of Jake Paul knocking out Ben Askren. You're kind of showing the whole fight. There wasn't that much in there. Yeah. Um, so basically on, on the first hand, I was like, well- I mean, that's also a good point as well. Fair use can sometimes constitute what percentage of the original content you use. Yeah. So it's like, if you just used- like a tiny little clip of a Disney movie and it's five seconds and the Disney movie was two hours, that's fine. But maybe there is a something to be said for the fact that they literally showed more than 50% of the fight. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fight only went for 40 seconds. But And obviously that's like a pay-per-view event. So no, you were supposed to pay for that content, therefore showing it is actually, not showing it is a fair enough expectation. But then I was like, no, but like, if I want to put a 10 second clip of Lion King in my video, I can do that. And that's technically content that you would normally pay for. Mm. Can't put the whole Lion King movie in my video, but I can have a segment. So it's just a very, very interesting dig at kind of the definition of fair use on YouTube and effectively how that could work in and the future. And how's H3 responded? Uh, they basically responded by saying that we're going to fight it because and he's he's you know very much taking the moral high road, being like if we give As in, he does. if we yeah if we if we if we give in on this case right here, then everything that we fought for in that last fair use fair, fair use case is was for, for nothing, nothing. Um, and it would also it would also could set a really bad dangerous precedent where you have these big companies coming in bullying YouTubers mm-hmm. whenever they want for the slightest use of copyright content. Mm-hmm. So they've effectively said they're going to fight it. Uh, I don't know if they'll do a fundraiser like they did for the previous one. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it comes out. I couldn't think that they would be found to be liable for that. But I don't know. What's your what's your gut on it? Obviously, this is uh, this is going to be more a topic that I was just keen to mention because I think we're going to follow it as it, as it goes, similar with like the Apple v. Epic where we check back in every now and again. My gut feel is the court doesn't like what they call vexatious litigants, which is people that like take things to court that really that's, shouldn't be going to court. That's the kind of uh, wording you get when you finish law school. <laughs> I didn't know that one. Elliot dropped out after first year. Yeah. Uh, um, second year, thank you. Okay. Dropped out in third year. Sure, sure, sure. Round it up. I don't think the court likes that. For me, I mean, that clip was everywhere. That, yeah. that footage was everywhere. Like Jake Paul himself was sharing it, I think. Yeah. Um, it was all over Twitter. It was hard to go on Twitter and not see a clip of Jake Paul knocking out Ben Askren. I think the court will probably rule that it was at the point where it was already very, very public. They weren't sharing something that was super confidential and that no one had been able to see anywhere else on the internet and they were the source that leaked it to the rest of the internet. That's my gut feel. I think it'll possibly settle out of court before that that would be my probable expectation. I don't think that, no. See, that's the thing. I don't think it will settle out of court. Mm. I think that H3 is, because that was the whole They're point he made. He was like, we ha- we've had the opportunity to settle out of court. Right. But there's no way that we're going to do that because that would set the precedent. They Ethan literally- is also like, I find to be, loves to sit on his moral high ground. Um, yeah. Which I, and, and I, I think I it's right. So and I am so like, conflicted I do, yeah. about H3. Like I actually, in uh, so much of the time, dude, I'm like, I, I actually- both ways. I re- yeah, I'm really like, I like what you're saying and I think it's really good. And then other times I'm like, like he'll he'll really much assume the moral high ground over yeah. someone. I'm like, all right, maybe. 
And not, like you're not perfect. Yeah, don't <laughs> throw stones from glass, glass houses, houses or whatever that saying is. I'm not great with with um yeah. things. Anyway, let's follow it along for sure, though, and see what happens. It'll be very interesting to see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, guys, tell us what you think in the comment section down yeah, below about, do. about the litigation and what you think the uh, the outcome will be and what you think the right outcome should be. I'm guessing most people will be on the side of fair use, given we are Denzians of the internet. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be it for Watch Time today, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much always. for watching. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 